It was September 11, 2010, and my wife and I decided to go bow hunting on Wildcat Mountain, north of Estacada, Oregon. We followed an old logging road deep into the forest, enjoying the thrill of the hunt and the beauty of our surroundings. As we ventured further, we spotted an old log in the road that we had seen before, but this time, something was different. The bark had been torn off and we found several enormous tracks around it that measured 22 by 10 inches. Intrigued, we decided to investigate the area thoroughly before returning to pick up a field research kit. After collecting the kit, we carefully plastered two of the tracks and examined the log more closely. That's when we noticed we weren't alone. A Bigfoot was watching us, and it seemed to be observing us from different angles. The realization sent a shiver down my spine and I couldn't help but feel a mix of excitement and fear. As darkness began to envelop the forest, my wife and I decided it wouldn't be safe to stay any longer. With the plaster casts in hand, we hurried back to our vehicle and headed home, our minds racing with thoughts of our mysterious observer. The following morning, we returned to the site, hoping to find more evidence of the elusive creature. Unfortunately, a heavy rain had fallen overnight, washing away the remaining tracks and any other clues that might have been left behind. Even though our encounter with the Bigfoot was brief, it's an experience my wife and I will never forget. The memory of that day on Wildcat Mountain continues to fuel our fascination with the legendary creature and serves as a constant reminder of the mysteries that still lurk in the wild places of our world. It was Christmas 1993, and the holiday season had brought my family together for a festive feast. After indulging in a scrumptious dinner, I decided to take a ride with a couple of my young male relatives to enjoy the crisp winter air. Little did we know, our peaceful drive would soon take a terrifying turn. As we drove along the quiet road, our headlights suddenly outlined a six-foot creature. It was busy tearing apart a rotted log, apparently searching for grubs. The creature's eyes did not reflect in the headlights, as is often reported in similar encounters. It was a bulky, flat-chested being with muddy and scraggly hair. I noticed no pointed head, but there might have been a crest on the apparent male's head. The creature turned and gave us an angry look that sent shivers down our spines. Just recounting the story at a meeting later made the hair on my arms stand erect. It stared at us for what felt like an eternity before finally taking forceful, strident steps away. It climbed a bench on the hill and disappeared into the timber, having been in view for about 15 seconds. We rushed home, our hearts pounding in our chests. I tried to reassure my nephews by telling them that what we had seen was just a bear, but deep down, I knew the truth. It wasn't a bear, it was something much more mysterious and terrifying. During a Q&A session after recounting the story at a meeting, I shared more details about the creature. Its nose was somewhat human-like, and its facial features were strong and imposing. Its hands were large, with long, dark, and hairy fingers. The memory of that chilling encounter on Christmas night in 1993 has never faded. It remains a haunting reminder that there are still undiscovered mysteries lurking in the shadows of our world. I could still remember the chill that ran down my spine as our helicopter descended into the remote mountain range of the Pacific Northwest. We were an elite Navy SEAL team, sent to investigate multiple high-profile disappearances that had captured the government's attention. The locals whispered about ancient legends of Bigfoot, Wendigo, and werewolves inhabiting the dense forests, but we dismissed these tales as mere folklore. As we navigated the treacherous terrain, However, we soon realized that our skepticism had been misplaced. The evidence was undeniable, we found ourselves facing off against these terrifying cryptids. Each encounter left us breathless, adrenaline pumping through our veins as we fought for our lives against creatures we had previously believed to be mere myths. We were forced to adapt our tactics and weaponry to battle these legendary beasts while traversing the challenging landscape.
our state-of-the-art military gear proved less than effective against these supernatural foes, and we relied on our wits and resourcefulness to survive. As we delved deeper into the mystery, we uncovered a clandestine organization hidden deep within the mountains. They had been capturing and experimenting on these cryptids, attempting to create an unstoppable army of monstrous hybrids. The horror of their intentions struck us to the core, and we knew we had to act quickly to stop them from unleashing these abominations upon the world. With grim determination, we fought our way through the heavily guarded facility, destroying equipment and liberating the tormented creatures. The cryptids, though fearsome, seemed to understand that we were there to help them, and they fought alongside us against their captors. In the end, we managed to capture the cryptids and cripple the organization's twisted plans. But the victory came at a terrible cost. Twenty of our brothers-in-arms fell in the line of duty, their lives lost to the formidable creatures they had been sent to investigate. As we left the Pacific Northwest, the weight of our losses hung heavily on our hearts. We had stopped a terrifying threat, but the world was now forever changed by the knowledge that these legendary beings were, indeed, real. We mourned for our fallen comrades, their sacrifice is a testament to the strength and courage of those who dare to face the unknown. As we returned to our normal lives, the memory of our mission remained etched in our minds. We knew that the world was filled with more mysteries than we had ever imagined, and we carried the burden of our experiences with a newfound understanding of the darkness that lurked just beyond our comprehension. It was December 2000, and the winter chill had settled in. I lived in a small town called Malala, located southeast of Oregon. The snowy hills off Hunter Road were a popular spot for hiking and exploring, and I had decided to venture out that day to enjoy the tranquility of nature. I had always been fascinated by the mysterious stories of Bigfoot, but never truly believed in its existence. Little did I know that my perspective would change drastically during that fateful hike. As I trudged through the soft snow, enjoying the crisp air and the crunch of snow beneath my boots, I stumbled upon something that would change my life forever. I found a set of tracks unlike any I had ever seen before. There were a dozen of them, each measuring 14 inches in length, with an astonishing stride of five and a half feet. The elevation of the area was about 1,500 feet, and the remoteness of the location added to the eeriness of the discovery. I couldn't believe my eyes. The tracks were clearly not human, nor did they resemble any known animal in the area. My heart raced as I considered the possibility that these tracks could belong to the elusive Bigfoot. I decided to follow the tracks, curious to see where they would lead. As I continued on, I couldn't help but feel a growing sense of unease. I was acutely aware of the eerie silence around me, punctuated only by the crunch of my footsteps and the occasional rustle of a bird or squirrel in the trees. Despite my apprehension, I pressed on, driven by a burning curiosity. The tracks led me deeper into the hills, and I began to wonder if I was on the verge of making a groundbreaking discovery. Suddenly, the tracks stopped at the edge of a small clearing. I scanned the area, searching for any sign of the creature that had left the tracks. But there was nothing. No broken branches, no tufts of fur, no lingering scent. It was as if the creature had simply vanished. Disappointed and feeling a mix of fear and fascination, I decided it was time to head back. I retraced my steps, making sure to take photos of the tracks as proof of my encounter. When I returned to town, I shared my story with friends and family. Some were skeptical, while others excitedly shared their own theories and stories about the legendary creature. As for me, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had come incredibly close to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot. That day in December 2000 marked the beginning of my obsession with the mysterious creature. Since then, I've dedicated my life to searching for evidence and learning all I can about Bigfoot. And though I've never come as close to the creature as I did that day, the memory of those tracks in the hills off Hunter Road continues to fuel my determination to uncover the truth.
One of the scariest things that has ever happened to me occurred while I had to take a bunch of kids from the local church group camping. I was only around 18 at the time and one of the youth leaders of the group, mainly because it was going to look good on my college manuscript. There was around 10 little kids, me and another youth leader will call her Tammy, and then two adults, Mr. and Mrs. Love, that really was their name. They ran the Sunday school and this was an overnight treat for the kids who were all pretty young, I want to say around 8 to 11. We did all the usual camp stuff until it got to the evening. While roasting s'mores, one of the kids asked for a ghost story, but Mr. Love said he wasn't going to scare them. I guess the Bible is scary enough, but to make up for no spooky stuff, he would allow a quick game of manhunt in the dark as long as they all stuck to in and around the tents and the first row of trees. If he blew the whistle, they all came straight back and whether they'd been found or not. Mr. and Mrs. Love and two of the kids would be seekers, and Tammy and I would hide along with the rest of the kids. I figured since I wasn't 10, I could bend the rules ever so slightly. I ran back a bit further into the trees. I planned to sneak out when I thought I was close to being the last to be found, feeling pretty smug as it was really dark back here and there was no way I'd be found until I spring out. It was super quiet as all the kids were desperately trying not to give away their hiding spot. It became really obvious when I heard this sort of banging noise behind me as it amplified all throughout the trees. I just remember thinking I'm gonna be given away by a raccoon or something or a possum. There was some wrestling, and then all of a sudden, I was blinded as the thing making the noise flipped on a light. I don't think I've ever been so terrified or screamed so loud in my life. There was a guy who stood behind me, only I couldn't see his face properly, like he had a stocking over it, kinda like how you see in the movies about bank robbers. As soon as I screamed and saw him, he ran. I just stood there screaming until Mr. Love suddenly appeared from the other side and grabbed hold of me, asking what had happened, was I hurt? He took me back to camp at that point as I could just speak, I was so scared. When we got there and this had all taken just a few moments, everybody was back. I told them what I'd seen and all the kids began crying. The adults knew me well enough to know there was no way I would make something like this up, so Mrs. Love called the cops on her cell phone while Mr. Love got everybody to huddle together and put all of her flashlights on. The police showed up and checked out the area. Of course, it was super hard to see anything in the dark, but they checked pretty thoroughly and I even showed them the exact spot that I had seen the mysterious man. There was no trace of him or anybody else, and they ended up helping to drive all the kids home as really nobody wanted to spend the night. The next morning they went back again just to check for any evidence in the daylight. Now they were able to see a ton of weird carvings that had been very recently cut into the trees and several bullets and other sharp objects found on the floor near to where I had apparently been standing. Had I possibly disturbed a would-be mass murderer? Those are one of the things that will haunt me forever, knowing that I could have been killed. As a Navajo officer, I once encountered a white skeletal creature on the Navajo Indian Reservation in Arizona. Two others and I came across this thing one night while patrolling the desert near Shiprock. Initially, I thought it was a bear or some other kind of animal. It looked like something with high cheekbones and deep sudden eyes, and had shorter arms with short front legs. I didn't realize it wasn't an animal until I got out of my patrol car to investigate. I noticed and heard the footfalls echoing off to either side and saw that there were no tracks. The creature was nearly seven feet tall. The other two witnesses, who requested anonymity, also said the animal was hairless and had carroty red eyes. I remember thinking it was the ugliest thing I've ever seen, and I felt a sensation akin to pins and needles when I looked at it. The creature disappeared before reaching a telephone booth. I contacted Navajo Tribal Police Chief Samuel Pete about my experience after reading newspaper accounts of sightings in northeastern Arizona, right near the Navajo Mountain. This is where others have reported seeing a giant man with white skin that leaves no tracks or scent behind. 
The report also included a local scientist theory that the animal was potentially a genetic aberration resulting from nuclear experiments in nearby Area 51, or quite possibly a descendant of a species of bear known to have been in the area thousands of years ago. A few days before my alleged encounter, two other Navajo officers had reported seeing a huge hairless dog that stood up about five feet tall in the same vicinity. On July 4th, a man named Leland Joe saw an unidentified five-foot-tall being with white skin and glowing green eyes running across a field, again leaving no tracks. Also, a retired military man said he saw another creature one night. His car suddenly stopped mid-drive for no apparent reason, suffering from electronic issues. He turned off the ignition, turned on the lights, and found that he was surrounded by several of these beings. These beings reportedly had glowing green eyes and fang-like teeth. They surrounded his car, and when he screamed, they appeared to just disintegrate into the air. As soon as they did, his entire car started up again, and he was able to successfully drive away. We're not exactly sure what we're dealing with, but there is definitely something supernatural lingering in the state of Arizona. The night was painted in eerie crimson as we arrived in the small European village. The rare lunar event, known as the Red Moon, hung heavily in the sky, casting an ominous glow over everything. We were an elite Navy SEAL team, dispatched in response to a sudden surge of brutal attacks and mysterious deaths in the village. The locals whispered that the Red Moon had awakened ancient predators, such as werewolves and wendigos, that had long been dormant in the surrounding forests. Our mission was clear, protect the village and eliminate the threat. We fortified the village, employing every tactic and weapon at our disposal. Yet, as the first howls echoed through the still night air, we understood that our military training had not prepared us for this. The cryptids were cunning, a deadly cat and mouse game ensuing as we attempted to hunt them down. They were unlike any enemy we had ever faced, creatures of nightmare and legend, brought to life by the chilling light of the red moon. During our pursuit, we discovered an ancient artifact hidden within a nearby cave. It was a relic from a bygone era, pulsating with a power that seemed to resonate with the cryptids. We soon realized that this artifact held the ability to control these creatures, a revelation that opened our eyes to a far greater threat. A sinister cult, shrouded in the darkness of the forest, sought to harness this power. They planned to use the red moon and the artifact to awaken and control the predators for their own dark purposes. The stakes were suddenly far higher than we could have imagined, we were not just fighting for the survival of a village, but the entire world. We devised a plan to secure the artifact and defeat both the cult and the cryptids. It was a dangerous gambit, one that pushed us to our limits and beyond. We fought through the night, the eerie glow of the red moon casting long shadows as we engaged in a desperate battle against the cult and the fearsome cryptids. The air was thick with the scent of blood and fear, and we could hear the snarls and howls of the creatures as they closed in on us. With the artifact in our possession, we could feel its power surging through us, urging us to take control of the cryptids. But we knew that the price of such power was too high, that we could not allow ourselves to become like the cult that sought to exploit it. Instead, we used the artifact to weaken the connection between the cryptids and the red moon, disrupting the cult's control over them. As we fought our way through the cult's ranks, we were forced to confront the very essence of darkness that they worshipped. But we held strong, our resolve unwavering, and with each member of the cult we defeated, we drew closer to ending their twisted plans. Finally, as dawn broke on the horizon and the red moon's grip on the world began to fade, we emerged victorious. The cult was dismantled, their dark purpose thwarted. The cryptids, now free from the influence of the artifact and the red moon, retreated into the depths of the forest, their primal rage subsiding. We had accomplished our mission, protecting the village and preventing global chaos. Yet, the experience had left its mark on each of us a reminder of the darkness that lurked just beyond the boundaries of our understanding. As we left the village behind, 
we knew that we had witnessed something truly extraordinary, a glimpse into a world where the line between myth and reality was blurred. As we returned to our normal lives, the memory of that fateful night under the red moon remained etched in our minds, a testament to the strength and courage of those who dare to face the unknown. And though we could not predict what other mysteries lay waiting in the shadows, we knew that we would be ready to confront them when the time came. This happened four years ago, when my boyfriend and I were still sort of fresh into the relationship. My sister had recommended me a snorkeling trip for a fun thing to do with him. It was this quarry surrounded by a campground that is filled in with water and it's known for its crystal clear water and its diving. There's apparently a helicopter and school bus that people dive down to see. My boyfriend and I decided to go camping for the night. While we were checking in we separately both got a bad feeling about the place but had kept it to ourselves until after we left. So at first it was a really good time, we snorkeled in the shallowish area of the quarry and although the depth of the water was a bit uncanny, I still was enjoying myself. The water is 65 feet deep so once you had swam out of the shallow area it immediately dropped off and it was pitch black. This is actually where I realized I am terrified of water. Besides the dark deep water while you were swimming, there is something very scary about a lake that is perfectly still. I assume because it is a quarry the water doesn't have a current. My boyfriend and are winding down our night and we're back at our campsite. We are camping in a grassy patch down a hill from the road. Our tent is pitched in a wooded area that our campsite is extended to and just across the green is a campsite that looks well lived in but our neighbors were out. We're making hot dogs over the fire when our neighbors get back, it's nighttime now and they immediately go to sleep. I'd say 20 to 30 minutes after they get back is when things started to become spooky. My boyfriend and I were chatting, when we noticed a dark figure watching us from up the hill. Because of the shadow of the fire we could not actually make out the characteristics of the figure, but we knew he was staring directly at us, almost hiding behind our neighbor's truck. He had watched us for what felt like forever until he started walking down the road again. We both watched him in dead silence, watching him walk behind trees. The same ones connected to our campsite, but that also went in between us and him. I anticipated each time I'd see him walk forward, out from behind a tree. It was a good four or five he came out from. It wasn't until after this I noticed he had stopped walking, or he was behind the tree still. I was totally freaked out, where did he go? I watched my boyfriend looking at what happened and thinking the same thing, but he had shrugged it off and I naively did too. We actually ended up forgetting about it and went to the quarry late night. It was beautiful seeing the stars reflected against the water, but the deep now all black water was terrifying to say the least. We walked back to our campsite, lied in our tent and smoked a joint. I soon began to feel an uneasy feeling which I was trying to ignore, telling myself it's because I was high. After some silence between us, my boyfriend says to me do you feel like we're being watched, I said why would you say that half joking but full serious that I was scared. My boyfriend wanted to get out from the tent so we're standing by my car and I got this stupid idea that being in the middle of the field that's in the middle of the campground is the safest place for us. My logic being if someone was gonna come up at us at least we'd be able to see them. So we're in the middle of this field when we see a similar looking shadow figure from earlier staring at us. He must have been about 20 yards away. We both notice him while walking, and he's walking in the same direction as us. We change directions and so does he. We tell one another if we change again and he does too that we're booking it to my car. When we change, he follows and we book it to the car. I watched him from my seat as he slowly walked back into the darkness while still staring in our direction. My boyfriend at this point says to me let's get out of here I agree but all our camping gear is outside. We quietly get our things together, not trying to freak the other one out. The weirdest part of this story in my opinion is the next part. My headlights weren't working and there was a weird fog over my windshield that didn't go away no matter what we did. We had to drive out of woods with only low beams and a strange fog over the window. 
We barely could see but got out of there. Weirdly enough the fog went away right as soon as we go to the gas station. We got home around 1 at night, I told my father the story the next day and he said he's glad we got out of there or else we could have gotten murdered. Two people have died at this campground while snorkeling, which I find out after I got back. My boyfriend and I think it was either a person trying to kill us or a windigo. We've kinda settled on the windigo because what happened was so unexplainable to us. My girlfriend and I had always loved spending time in the great outdoors, so when we had a free weekend, we decided to take a camping trip high in the Cascade Mountains. We were excited about the adventure that lay ahead of us, as we set off with our backpacks filled with essential supplies and our spirits brimming with anticipation. Our first day hiking through the mountains was nothing short of magical. The breathtaking vistas, the crisp mountain air, and the sounds of nature all around us made us feel truly alive. As night fell, we set up camp in a small clearing, sharing a warm meal by the fire before crawling into our tent, ready for a good night's sleep. Sometime around 1 or 2 am, I awoke to a smell so pungent and indescribable that it instantly snapped me out of my slumber. The stench filled the tent, making it almost unbearable to breathe. I nudged my girlfriend awake, only to find her already wide-eyed and alert, clearly disturbed by the same smell. We exchanged worried glances, trying to make sense of the situation. The smell was so intense and unlike anything we'd ever encountered before. I peered out of the tent, scanning the dark surroundings for any sign of what could be causing the odor, but the night was pitch black, revealing nothing. My girlfriend, seemingly overwhelmed by the smell or perhaps just frightened by the unknown, suddenly fell back asleep. I couldn't believe it, how could she sleep at a time like this? I stayed awake, my senses on high alert, prepared for whatever might come our way. 30 minutes later, my girlfriend stirred from her unexpected slumber. The smell had disappeared as mysteriously as it had arrived, leaving us with more questions than answers. We spent the rest of the night wide awake, discussing what could have possibly caused such a strange and unsettling experience. Though we never discovered the source of that indescribable smell, it remains etched in our memories as a reminder that the wilderness can still hold secrets and surprises, even for the most seasoned adventurers. I'm a single male, 33, who lives alone in Denver. My apartment complex is not what you would call a nice building. I'm on a road close to Colfax Avenue, which if you're familiar with the geography of this area is not the safest boulevard in town. I'm a few streets away from it, but close enough that I wouldn't consider this an up-and-coming neighborhood. This evening I was watching Netflix on my couch. My two cats were cuddled up against me as I lay under a comforter. The night before I had watched a horror movie that was scary enough to leave me in an unsettled mood, making it hard to sleep. So this night I decided to watch a stand-up special instead. Keep it light so I wouldn't have any trouble getting some shut-eye. I have classes early then next morning, so I was surprised when I made the conscious decision to turn on a second stand-up special and let myself fall asleep on the couch. I was just so comfy where I lay and didn't want to move not even to turn off the several lights on throughout my apartment. I remembers dozing off around 11 o'clock. It was effortless, which meant I was really snug under the covers with my cats flanking me on either end, creating a tucked-in feeling. I fell into a dream wherein I was on an impromptu date with this guy, whom I didn't recognize, at a Blockbuster video store. He bought me blue and yellow underwear, you know like a Blockbuster would sell in Dreamland, insinuating I would take the hint of his intentions. He was also desperate for a job, so when we got to the counter he was given an off-the-cuff interview that didn't go well. And all of a sudden I'm not sleeping anymore. I'm woken up by a knock at my door. Then a man's voice says maintenance. I just sat there, sitting bolt upright on my couch. I knew something was off. I looked at my phone, which was by my left hand and the time was 2.15 am. I didn't move. 
The floors in my apartment are old wood and there are many creaky floorboards. I didn't want whoever was knocking to know someone was at home and awake, let alone alert to his presence. My cats got up and ran over to the door as they normally would, but I stayed still and listened. After a few minutes with no answer, the man walked away from the door and down the hallway to the stairs. A moment after that I heard the back door to the building swing open and closed. I have one window where I have a partial view of that door, so I break my paralysis and race over to it. I saw an old looking green SUV sitting in the no parking zone just in front of the back door. It must have been running the entire time because I didn't hear it start up and the brake lights were glowing red. Someone, presumably the maintenance man, got in the car and it drove off. I don't know what his intentions were but no one knocks on someone's door at 2.15am claiming to work for the landlord with good deeds in mind. Had it been a true emergency, wouldn't he have knocked again? Used his service key to get into the unit? What did I just avoid here? I can only assume it was an attempted robbery at best or abduction at worst. When I was watching the SUV drive off, I surveyed the other apartment windows. They were all dark. I can see every unit except the two other corner apartments below me from that vantage point. I think because my apartment sticks out from the building and has many windows, I was targeted because my lights were visibly on and noticeable from the street. However, I don't know how this individual got into the building in the first place as you would need a key to do so. I've never been so legitimately afraid as a single person living alone. I'm grateful I installed a security chain on my door when I moved in. I'm also so glad that even in my disoriented state, I had the presence of mind not to move from the couch or make any noise. As I recount the event, I can't stop my eyes from leaking tears though I wouldn't call it crying. My nerves are definitely shot. I don't think I'll be going back to dreamland anytime soon. I have turned off all the lights save for the lamp by my bed. I usually can't sleep with it on. Tonight I don't think I could sleep with it off. My friend Ryan and I had been planning a weekend getaway for quite some time. Both of us were outdoor enthusiasts, and we decided to explore the beautiful Surprise Lake, located southeast of Estacada, Oregon. Late last July, we finally had the chance to embark on this adventure. Ryan brought along his girlfriend, making it an exciting trio for the trip. Upon arriving at Surprise Lake, we were captivated by the serene beauty that surrounded us. The calm water, the lush greenery, and the melodic sounds of nature were a welcome escape from the hustle and bustle of city life. We decided to set up camp on the far side of the lake, away from any other visitors who might be in the area. As we explored the area, we came across a large V formation between two trees. To our surprise, we discovered long, soft brown and copper hairs, along with some white hairs, tangled in the branches. Intrigued by this unusual finding, we speculated that something big must have passed between the trees, leaving the hairs behind. We continued our exploration, still discussing the mysterious hairs and what creature could have left them. The sun began to set casting a warm glow over the lake and surrounding woods. As the darkness crept in, we suddenly heard a loud crashing sound coming from the nearby forest. Startled by the noise, we froze in our tracks, our hearts pounding in our chests. The crashing grew louder, as if something large was moving through the woods in our direction. Fear quickly took over, and we realized that it was time to leave. Without hesitation, we grabbed our belongings and hastily retreated to the safety of our campsite. We spent the night huddled together, our minds racing with thoughts of what could have been lurking in the forest. The mysterious hairs and the unexplained crashing sound left us with an eerie sense of unease that lingered throughout the night. Though we never discovered the source of the hairs or the sounds that spooked us, our trip to Surprise Lake became a story we'd recount for years to come. The experience taught us that. Even in the most serene of places, the unknown can still surprise and frighten even the most adventurous souls. In the summer of 1999, 
my cousin and I decided to embark on an exciting adventure near Timothy Lake, Oregon. Both of us had always been fascinated by nature, and we were eager to explore the backside of the lake and look for any signs of wildlife. Armed with nothing but a .22 rifle for protection, we ventured off the main trail and began our exploration. Our main focus was to find bear signs, which had been reported in the area. As we delved deeper into the forest, we stumbled upon a log that appeared to have been torn apart. This was exactly the kind of evidence we were hoping to find. As we examined the area further, however, we discovered something even more intriguing, a series of human-like tracks stretching for about 50 feet. What caught our attention was the enormous stride between each step, nearly 8 feet apart. We couldn't believe what we were seeing and started to wonder if these tracks could be the work of a Sasquatch, a creature we had heard stories about but never truly believed existed. Unsure of what to make of our discovery, we decided to head back to camp and share our findings with our uncle. As an experienced outdoorsman, we believed he might be able to shed some light on the mysterious tracks. To our surprise, he was just as intrigued as we were and agreed to come and take a look for himself. Upon examining the tracks, our uncle couldn't hide his astonishment. He too began to entertain the idea that a Sasquatch might be responsible for the footprints. The thought that we could have stumbled upon evidence of such a legendary creature left us all feeling a mix of excitement and fear. Over the years, our encounter near Timothy Lake has remained a topic of conversation within our family. The mysterious tracks continue to pique our curiosity, and we can't help but wonder if we had indeed crossed paths with a Sasquatch that day. While we may never know for sure, the experience taught us that the natural world still holds many secrets waiting to be discovered by those daring enough to explore its depths. To give you an idea of why I was out in the middle of the woods at midnight, I run cross-country collegiately. This means that I'm supposed to run every single day, 10 miles a day, and I can be particularly lazy about this. When you've been doing it for 7 years, it gets old quick. So more often than not my roommate and myself will put off our run until late because we struggle to find the strength during the rest of the day. Well, it turns out that we picked the wrong night to be lazy. As 11pm starts to roll around, I told my roommate Matt that we need to get our miles out of the way. He agreed and we both lace up, grabbed our flashlights, and left our dorm. We live on a decent-sized campus with a lot of woods on the back of it and a full-sized golf course so we decided to run on the trails out there. At night it is pitch black and can be hard to see the path even with flashlights but it breaks the monotony of running the same routes, and we happen to like the adrenaline of being creeped out. So we began our run and started heading towards the woods. Instead of taking the normal trail that leads right through the middle of the golf course we elected to take a different entrance and eventually we realized we were lost. It was still possible to see the clock tower on campus from where we were at so we knew we just had to head in that direction to get home. I wasn't too sure of how to get there from the course path so we just stopped our run and walked directly through the woods and trees until we ended up on another green of the course that I have never been to before. While we were trying to get our bearings I noticed a flickering light in the distance. I asked Matt if he saw it also and he just nodded as we both stared. Slowly but surely, this light got closer and closer. It wasn't long until we realized it was another flashlight from someone on the trail. As I watched the light bob up and down, I began to comprehend what this meant. We weren't alone out here. That didn't make any sense though. It's almost midnight. Why would someone be 5 miles into the middle of the golf course at this time? Why are they alone? What could they possibly be doing? We were sure it wasn't maintenance because the maintenance building shuts down at 5pm and they wear bright green to give notice to golfers, safety reasons. Soon enough, the silhouette of a tall man came into view and the distance between us and him was only brought down to 50 feet or so. He stopped dead in his tracks and we just continued to stare. This really only lasted a minute but it felt like forever. The man did not seem phased by us and started walking towards us but then made a quick turn to the right, 
which was where the green ended and the woods began, uphill at that. Right before he entered the woods, he turned back to face us. As he did this, he shined his flashlight up at our faces, the kind of way you do to blind someone, and all we heard was the massive footsteps of this guy sprinting and the heaving of his breath. With that very moment, we took off. Let me tell you, I have never ran that fast in my entire life. Even being a collegiate runner. We ran and ran and never looked back until we made it to the street that our campus begins on. I don't know what that man wanted or why he was in the woods so late, but he clearly intended harm to us. This isn't our first weird occurrence in the woods at school, so I may post more soon. One day my best friend and I were taking a shortcut to her house. It goes past a few houses and through a small area of woods, crossing a two feet wide creek. This particular day, I was wearing one of those jackets that had earbuds as the strings, a must-have item as a fifth grader in 2010-11. As we were passing one of the houses, a couple big dogs come running from it, jumping on us and obviously just wanting to play slash be petted. The owner of the house comes out, and I noticed right away that he was acting really fidgety and nervous, saying stuff about the dogs like oh it's okay, they're nice, don't worry. We made small talk with him about the dogs for a few minutes and turned around to leave. About or minute or so later we arrived at the small creek when I noticed that one of the rubber earbuds that was on my jacket was gone, and I insisted on going back to look for it. The guy came back out again and offered to help us. He asked what the material was made of and I said it was made of rubber. We made small talk again, I think about the jacket and how cool it was. Anyway, he said he was going to be right back with his metal detector. He walked away towards his shed and I said to my friend. Why does he need a metal detector? The earbud is made of rubber. Next thing you know, he's coming back with, I shit you not, a rifle, and he is literally running towards us. When I'm telling you we ran, we ran. When we got to safety, past the creek and near her house, I was telling her we needed to call 911. She insisted that we not do that because her parents would be mad at her. I explained to her with urgency why it's important we called the cops, but she refused and I couldn't force her. I didn't call because I didn't want to do it alone, plus it would have been my first time calling them. I can't remember when slash if I told my parents that night what happened, but when I told them, they gaslit me and said I was crazy slash overreacting, that I didn't really see that. I still think about this damn near every day and it haunts me. The second time was, again, in fifth grade, taking place after the first story but I'm not sure how long after. The friend from the previous story lived near a cemetery, about a five minute walk from her house. It was a big cemetery and we liked to walk around it a lot, plus behind the cemetery was a shortcut through the woods to a big park, which was coincidentally right next to our school. This day we were also with another good friend of ours. We were just walking around the cemetery this day when all of a sudden, a blue truck pulls up next to us in the row next to where we were walking, about 10 feet away or so, not far. I could see two guys were in it literally just staring at us and I again got that weird feeling I got with the first guy. This is hard to explain but right before the shortcut in the woods is a fence with a cutout that leads to a field of grass and a hill next to it that leads into the neighborhood of where my other friend lived. The hill was really a bunch of dead grass, weeds, sticks, cattails, etc. Anyway, I told my friends I had a bad feeling about these guys, that they were staring at us and quite literally slowly following us with the truck. We booked it to that grass field and through that hill. I had all sorts of cuts and gashes from all the shit that we were running through. When we got to the top of the hill, we turned around and the truck was parked at the top of the hill on the other side, with both men outside of it holding guns slash rifles. I truly believe they were coming after us, and they were visibly mad that we got away from them. I knew they were after us because they have had to have driven through the cutout and the fence, amongst the gut feelings and just the entire situation. We ran to my friend's house, noticed her parents, who truly didn't seem too worried, and drove my other friend and me home. 
I don't even remember if I told my parents about this time since they gaslit me when I told them about the last time. I just can't shake the fact that this shit really happened. When I was in 5th grade. 10-11 years old. I also can't believe how lightly my parents took the situation. I'm honestly traumatized about what happened and I think about it a lot. I just needed to tell some people what happened but I have trouble getting my thoughts into words. During my time as captain of the Standard Oil Company steamer Dakota, I had an incredible experience that I will never forget. It was July 11th, and we were sailing back from Manila when my mate called my attention to what he thought was a whale on our port bow. As we approached within about 100 feet of the creature, it became clear that this was no ordinary whale. In fact, it hardly resembled a whale at all upon closer inspection. This massive creature measured 40 feet long and 10 feet wide, with a cavernous mouth and eyes as large as locomotive headlights. As I stood on the bridge, I watched the creature intently, captivated by its fierce yet kind gaze. Just as we came almost alongside, I recall, the creature turned its head toward the ship, revealing the most ferocious face I had ever seen. The mouth seemed like the entrance to a railroad tunnel, and despite the intimidating appearance, there was a gentle look in its eyes. As we continued to observe the creature, it suddenly rolled its eyes and disappeared beneath the water's surface. Unlike a whale, which would have dove head first and waved goodbye with its tail, we never saw this mysterious creature's tail at all. To this day, I am not sure if it was bidding us farewell or inviting us to join it on some adventure below the surface. Having spent many years at sea, I had never encountered a creature quite like this one. In the ship's log, we recorded the encounter at latitude 45.30 north, longitude 152 west, as evidence of our extraordinary brush with this enigmatic creature of the deep. I'm not sure if I am hyper aware, or paranoid, but I've had several weird things happen recently and hearing many others with similar stories too. First, several months ago I was in a shopping center and a man walking towards me on the sidewalk said hey, you dropped something I looked him in the eye but kept walking. I knew I hadn't dropped anything. About 30 minutes later I went downtown, a few minute drive from where I was before, and walking in a busy area with a lot of restaurants, Another man said slash did the exact same thing, only this time he was aggressive and rude yelling at me for not giving him a response. The second weird encounter was while walking my dog on a grass area behind my apartment. The city owns the land, however I've never seen people walk around there. As I was walking out of a little wooded area there, my dog abruptly turns around and barks at a man. He acted very surprised when I turned around and my initial thought was that he was following me. He asked me if I had seen a cat and then laughed. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was nervous but I felt weird for days after. Who laughs when they are missing their pet though and the last encounter was in my office space I rent. I have neighbors in the building, and specifically a new one interacted with me. He came to my door and knocked, and started to tell me about himself. He told me he doesn't have friends in the office building, neither do I because I'm only there for work, our conversation was pleasant, but then he said I asked name I can't remember, which car you drive. I never get to see you here and wondered he asked for my contact for my business and I was reluctant between giving my email or phone number. He acted so frustrated and said just give me one or give me a card. Honestly I was nervous and just blurted it out in hopes I'd never interact with him again. When I didn't respond to a message from him a few days later, he came back to my office while I was with a client. He slipped notes through the door and I decided to tell him politely I was too busy and not accepting new clients. The friends I've talked to say to me to trust my gut and keep my distance. I don't leave my office without walking with someone or calling someone now. I'm just tired of being on edge. In the spring of 2021, I was driving home from work on a long, dark stretch of highway from Fairbanks, 
Alaska to Ilsen AFB about halfway home, there was a bright flash all around me. Almost like a flash of a huge camera going off. Right after the flash, everything in my car started to die slowly. The lights went out, the radio stopped working and eventually, the car died completely. My first thought was a battery problem. The next thing I remember was the car starting up again on its own and everything working as before. I drove home, thinking it had only been a few seconds. I was completely shocked when I arrived at our house in military housing to find out that I had lost an hour and 20 minutes. I have absolutely no memory of what happened during that time. Ever since that incident, I have had many medical issues and severe back problems. Doctors always ask me if I've had an injury. My husband and I have been married for 15 years and have seen many UFOs in our travels across the US. The largest one was in Wasilla, Alaska, somewhere around 2016. It was about the length of three football fields. Several cars were stopped along the road watching it and it was reported in the paper the next day. Even state troopers reported seeing it. After that sighting, my husband began having vivid dreams. We found out about five years ago that my husband's blood type changed. He'd been typed in high school and throughout his military career as type O+. He had a physical five years ago and was typed A+. The doctors thought there was a mistake and sent him to the hospital to be retyped. Although all his previous records showed O+, he is now A+, as confirmed by three separate doctors. The dreams, for my husband, still continue. Mine have stopped for now, but we still see many UFOs, some just lights, and some we can see the entire body of the ship. I haven't reported any of this before because of fear of reprisal. I am from the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. I live in Ashland, about 20 miles from Lame Deer. I have heard stories of the area around the grandmother's home. I have personally been witness to a deerman. It was about 2002, I was hunting on the big divide between Ashland and Lame Deer. I was glassing with my binoculars hoping to find a deer to shoot for one of the elders. I spotted what I thought was a whitetail buck. It was standing in a brush patch about 200 yards in a draw below me. As I was watching the buck through my binoculars, the body started to become clearer. It was a deer head on a muscular man's body. Needless to say, I hurried and got out of the area and didn't go back for quite a while. I have heard many stories of little men, but my only experience with them wasn't a full-fledged sighting. It was in 1997. I was house-sitting for my parents while they were away one weekend. I was sitting in the living room one afternoon watching television when I caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of my eye. I turned toward the dining room window. I saw what looked like the top of a head popping into view at the base of the window. It looked like someone was jumping up trying to look into the window. I watched whatever it was for a good half a dozen jumps when I rushed over and looked out the window to see who it was. There was no one there. I immediately went outside and looked. I could not see anyone. My parents' house was in a rural area, with not many trees or bushes. I should have seen who it was if it was a kid. Whatever it was I estimated it had to be about 3 feet tall if it jumped up and only the top of its head showed over the window sill when it jumped. A close friend also had encounters with a little woman near her house. She would hang laundry in her backyard. Then when she went back outside to take the laundry down, some of the clothes and sheets were on the ground or missing. This occurred several times until she finally saw the little woman running through the yard at night. She believes that the little people on the reservation are invisible during the day. She described the little woman as being two half feet tall, brown-skinned, and wearing a long colorful shawl around her. There are a lot of strange sightings and encounters on this reservation. My first experience with Sasquatch was when I was living in Wyoming, Michigan. I was eight years old. It was the last day of school and I decided to cut across the plowed fields to get home and save about 20 minutes. None of the other kids wanted to come with me so I headed off towards home. 
I'd always sing as I walk and not go into any depth, I learned how to mind speak at a very young age. As I was walking, I saw an old red truck facing me sitting to my right out where the two fields met. The wheels were gone as were all the chrome, windows, and lights. The passenger door was closed and the driver's door open about halfway. I looked at it and saw no one and walked around the back of it, not looking at it as I passed. He must have been laying in the cab and heard my singing. I got about 20 feet past it and heard in mind speak, what are you doing here? Like you would say if you locked up the dog and then found it sitting on your porch a few hours later. At that point in my life, all I knew was mind speaks with angels and so I thought you must be friendly and I turned around. I saw what I thought was a friend of my best friend's brothers. I didn't question why he could mind speak because I figured everyone could if they wanted to. I started walking toward the truck. He leaned forward out of the driver's door window area as I walked. I asked, what's your name? Then I heard something like the word Ken. I walked within a few feet of him and he leaned out further. He was looking down just a bit and I was looking up. I would say he was at my 10 o'clock. We just stare at each other. His skin was like my mom's kid gloves. It was much thicker looking than mine. He did have freckles and red hair. His nose looked like my brother's which had been broken so many from so many fights that even after surgical repair, looked flattened and broad. He had finished lips and teeth like ours. His eyes were a golden brown and to me showed expression. I got the distinct impression that he was young, late teens. As we stared at each other I started asking questions. Please remember, I was only 8 years old. I first asked him in mind speak, how come your parents let you grow your hair so long? He didn't answer but I could see a smile coming across his face. And then I asked, why are you allowed to go to school with a beard? Then, where's your neck? I can't see a neck? And with that, he broke into a smile. As I was going to ask another question, his attention was broken by something to his left. He looked back at me with a word expression and said, go now with power in the words. I turned and started walking away. I got to the hole in the hedge that separated the field from the street and a four-foot drop and turned around to wave goodbye. He had exited the truck and was standing on the other side of the cab. I was shocked that he was so tall. My dad and grandfather were six foot four inches, he was at least a foot or more taller. He was looking toward my right but I could not see what was going on from the protection of the hedge. He was flailing his arms and then he saw me standing there. He said, go now. Don't come back. And I said, you were mean but I didn't move. All of a sudden I heard someone screaming and realized it was me. He had sent what I would call a cloud of fear at me and my body reacted. I turned around. I jumped down the embankment through the hedge and ran down the street to my house. When I got home I told my mom about what had happened and that he had red hair and I told her his name was Kenny. She said she would find out who he belonged to. That meant his mom. So she could smack some sense into him. Well two days later, my mom came home from the store and told me she stopped at both farms attached to the fields. Neither of them had a red-headed son. My mom claimed Chickasaw heritage. She followed native beliefs and told me that Kenny was a forest person living in the woods. I told her he was nice at first but then told me not to come back. She said if he had told me not to go back then respect his wishes and do not go back there. That was that. Until that point, I believed that he was just one of the boys that hung around with my friend's brothers and I have to add he smelled. I would have told him he needed a bath. I was shocked about forest people but I was pissed about not being able to go back to see him again. As years passed I realized that he wasn't being mean, he was protecting me from whatever was coming from the woods. I got the impression that he was not where he was supposed to be either. Shortly after that, we moved out of the state. This whole thing is like it happened yesterday. I can close my eyes and see him clearly and it happened in 1957. The fields are all houses now. I haven't heard of this happening to anyone else but I'm sure it has and I am including it so they know they aren't alone.
I was a witness to El Chupacabra's attacks near Canavanas, Puerto Rico on two occasions. In the second attack, I caught sight of El Chupacabra's killing a large dog in a field behind my father's workplace. It was after midnight and I was there helping him get extra work done. We heard the dog growling in the backfield. I went to look and saw a four-foot-tall thing, very ugly, that I had never witnessed before. The dog was keeping its distance from this thing when suddenly it leapt and attacked the dog. It took only a few seconds as it ripped the dog apart. It never made a sound. I quickly ran into the shop and told my father what I saw. He had a pistol and walked out to see what was there. The only thing that remained was the badly mutilated dog. I was sure it was El Chupacabras. There was talk of this creature for several days. It looked like a weird man in the distance shadow but had a lizard head and hairless dog body up close. The large dark eyes were very strange and it used its teeth and long claws to rip apart the dog. I have read recently that many researchers consider this to be a legend but I will state that it is a completely true creature. Those sightings outside of Puerto Rico and South America I feel are bogus and maybe just dogs. It was the winter of 2020. I was driving north on Highway 21, at approximately 10.10 pm, just outside of Hillsborough, Missouri just past Jefferson College. I was just passing the northbound off-ramp from Hayden Road onto northbound Highway 21 at mile marker 169.6. I'm not sure of the day of the week. I work the night shift every weekday and also work the same shift every other weekend, so all of the nights just seemed to run together. I just remember it was very cold and the road was deserted. I was the only car in the north or southbound lanes for as far as I could see. This is the same route I have taken to work every night for the past 8 plus years, so I know the road very well. The dash of my car showed the ambient temperature is only 20 degrees Fahrenheit. But standing outside it felt even colder. It was clear, with no wind, rain, or snow. It was a clear, bitterly cold night. Just before mile marker 169.6, I noticed a rather tall thin guy standing on the right-hand shoulder of the road under the streetlight. He stood facing me as I headed north. I slowed as I came upon him out of caution, but was not dumb enough to come to a complete stop. He was standing completely still, not walking or moving at all. I have seen other people walking along the side of this highway at night from time to time before so I did not think too much about seeing someone this night, other than the fact that this night was so bitterly cold. As I approached he stood completely motionless. He was very poorly dressed for the cold. He was wearing only a dark color faded hoodie and dark colored, faded pants of some sort. I cannot remember if they were jeans or sweatpants. They had no holes or rips in them but I remember that his whole appearance looked rather shabby. He had his head covered with the hoodie and kept his head pointed down enough so that I could not see his face. I could not see any sign of breath being exhaled into the bitterly cold night air from under his hoodie. This was really creepy. He stood there, completely motionless with his hands hanging to his sides. I remember thinking to myself that if I were out in this kind of cold that was poorly dressed, I would certainly keep myself moving to try to stay warm. But this guy was standing completely motionless, not walking, not swinging his arms or moving his hands or fingers or legs at all. He stood completely still, like a statue. Another very odd thing was that he wore no gloves, so his fingers had to be freezing. He did not have either of his hands in his hoodie pocket or his pant pockets for warmth. The hoodie seemed to fit his frame proportionally well except the sleeves were too short. His arms were way too long for the sleeves. I could see maybe 3 to 3.5 inches of the bare forearm from the bottom of his hoodie cuff to the top of his hand which looked odd. Everything else seemed to fit okay but his arms were way too long for the sleeves. This guy was tall. Compared to the mile marker sign which was behind him. I would say that he had to stand 6 foot 9 inches tall or more. As I slowly drove past him and watched him it became one of those moments when time seemed to slow down. It was as if it all happened in slow motion. 
I can remember a lot of detail and how he just continued to stand there in the cold completely motionless as I drove past him, never turning his head or moving any part of his body in any way. After I passed him I could still see him in my rearview mirror standing there on the shoulder of the highway, in the same spot, illuminated by the street light above. He still remained there completely motionless, like a statue, not moving at all, his hands still hanging at his sides, his body completely motionless, not even a finger moved. I kept glancing into my rearview mirror to take another look at him until I rounded the corner and finally lost sight of him. I never saw him move the entire time. I got this rather ominous, dark, foreboding feeling as I passed him. If what I saw were some kind of ghost or demon or specter or whatever you want to call it, it certainly was not ghostly in appearance at all and looked as solid and as real as you or me. I still do not know what it is that I saw that night. But I hope I never see it again. It really freaked me out.